You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Brian Schlitt. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So they pulled the trigger. Um, like I said, let me turn this down again. Like I said uh, yesterday, or whatever day it was, um, if the Packers are going to move on, they're going to do it quick. So we'll have answers relatively soon because, I mean, you want to do it as a favor to them. They need to find new work. And also, guys are getting hired every single day. And if you're sitting here dawdling trying to figure out what to do, you're missing out on great candidates. Um, for example, Lovey just got hired yesterday. I don't know if that's a great candidate or not, but if he was on their radar, they just lost out. So um, it happened, and uh, I, I guess, you know, the more I think we talked through it, the more it became the right decision. I started to realize that the only reason I didn't want to do it was out of fear. Um, and it's a real fear, and it, it it's definitely something to be concerned about, but I don't think that's the right way to run a football team. Fear of, well, we could be worse. Um, I think you need to demand the best from your team at all times, and clearly the defense wasn't getting their best. And there was a lot of good to come out of it, though, and and I do think Mike Pettin deserves a lot of credit. It was still one of the best defenses we've seen, I mean, I don't know, maybe since the 90s. I mean, you could argue the last time we went on a Super Bowl run, that defense was better. They certainly performed better in the playoffs. Um, I think people get too hung up on one or two games, but if you remove those, I mean, this was a very, very good defense. Um, Stingy, I mean, just the amount of points that were being put up, the amount of yards that were lacking. I mean, it wasn't, it was frustrating on our end, the amount of, um, you know, the the, the bend-don't-break mentality I think Packer fans are just kind of burned out on. Um, Even though we got to see it work with Mike Pettin, uh, it didn't really work under, um, what's his name now? I'm forgetting the guy that the Lions just hired. It's going to be one of those days. I can't get Pettin and Zimmer out of my head. That's clearly not, clearly not it. <laughs> and now I'm thinking Zook. I, I just anything but that guy's name. Anyways, the old defensive coordinator. Um, but we did get to see it work, right? They they got first downs, they got yards, but they didn't get points. And at the end of the day, they were scoring less than 20, which is just an unbelievable mark, especially at this day and age where, I mean, 24, 25 points is just the norm. I mean, that's just a, an average stroll through the park is 25 points, um, you know, if, if if a team puts up 24 on you, that's just kind of a mediocre day. So, um, you know, I do think he deserves a decent amount of credit, but there were just some unforgivable things, we'll say. Um, you know, as, as I said, the, the biggest for me was an offensive head coach having to call it burn timeouts to fix the defense. You should never have to do that. Um, we just recently had Adrian Amos go on uh, somebody's show. I don't know who they were, but... Um, it was it was somebody showing he said that he was tempted to call a timeout on that play in which Kevin King gave a touchdown because he knew it was just a terrible play call and um he said you know he, he's always told as a as a player quarterbacks and coaches call timeouts you know you do not call a timeout no matter what but he's i mean imagine that as a player sitting there saying i in my entire life i've never felt the need to call a timeout or, or i shouldn't say he's never felt the need but he's he's never been in a position where he really feels like I need to break this cardinal rule right now. And not only did he feel that, 
Not only did he not do it, but the very next thing that happens is a touchdown, exactly for the reason that you wanted it to, or, or the reason you wanted to call a timeout. You know, and, and and again, it was one of those things where after the fact, everybody saw it, but I, I saw even somebody posted, it was a German broadcast, and <laughs> it's funny because um, I, I read the translation, it was in German on the Twitter, the, the tweet was in German, but um, I read the translation and it was basically that the announcer called it out before the play. Like, um, there's only one safety out there. Like, that's not good. So, I mean, it's, it's like everybody sees it. Everybody's looking at it like, wait a minute, what is going on? I'm surprised Matt LaFleur didn't. That's that's somewhat, you know, it's, again, that's not really his job, but it, you feel like he should have caught that. You probably heard the call come in too, right? I mean, he's wearing a headset. What is he listening to? Didn't he hear that call and say, wait, whoa, 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 no, 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 not that. I don't know, very, very weird, but um, it was funny listening to that German broadcast because you could... <laughs> It's like, I, I don't know what they're saying, but you could hear the moment in which they were like, wait a minute. You know, it got real quiet, and then it's like, Stuka's in safety or whatever. It's like, oh, there it is. There Now he's the confusion. And then after the touchdown, it wasn't even like anger or uh, excitement. It was just kind of like, yep, told you. Told you that was going to happen. That uh, that was definitely going to happen. So, I mean, I think it's just, it's mostly those things. You know, it's mostly just the, uh, it's it's the, it's the, Cardinal rule-breaking things. You know, I, I think there's a lot of great qualities in Mike Pettin, um, but there's just something missing. I don't, I don't, and, and it's it's so weird because that's the one thing you get a guy like Mike Pettin for. You know, you look at it and say, well, maybe he's not up on the most modern things, but he's a very intelligent coach. He's very, you know, I mean, he's just not going to make stupid mistakes. He's been around too long for that kind of stuff, you know? And um, when he's doing that, it's, it's you know, you, you got to kind of wonder a little bit. And I guess I won't speculate. The guy just got fired, so I'm not going to sit here and dunk on him or whatever. But it it, it forces me to, to wonder what's going on. Um, you know, there's several reasons that you like young coaches. Um, only one of those reasons would be the fact that they tend to be on the cutting edge. You know, the older coaches are kind of what they learned is the older way. And it's not that they can't innovate. It's just it's you really have to work at it. You really have to be grinding those the same way you were when you were 35. And the thing is, when you're young and you want to aspire to be something, you have to be a grinder. You have to really study and understand what is up with, with the, the latest of offenses and defenses. And it's probably all you really know. You never learned anything about, you know, how to stop 90s or, or 2004 offenses because you weren't a coach then. You were in middle school. So there's the fact that your style of defense tends to align better with what we need, but there's also the hunger aspect. And I've always said that about certain guys, especially Mike McCarthy. It's not that he's not smart. It's just that he didn't have that quality that would make him Andy Reid. Andy Reid reinvented himself. There's no way he was running this in, you know, 1998. Things that didn't even exist, or at least not in the in the pros. He had to reinvent himself, and, and, and it's kind of like what I've talked about with coaches where you got different levels of coaches. You've got the mimickers, the guys who are taught something and they can do what they're taught, right? This is the system. This is what you do. This is why you do it. Okay, I can do that. And then the second the NFL shifts, you're like, well, I don't really know what to do now, so I'm just going to keep calling the same plays, and then you can just get beat, and then you get fired. You've got the guys that can you know, sort of take what they have and, and maybe mold it a little bit, you know, add on to it or whatever. And then you've just got the straight-up innovators. And I think Mike McCarthy was, not to be overly mean, but more or less a mimicker. He was very, very, very good at doing a thing a certain way. And when it became time to innovate and run more of what you see Matt LaFleur running or Andy Reid running or any of these various different styles of offenses, 
He just wasn't really able to do it. He kept doing the same thing over and over again. And it's not because he's stupid. It's not because he's a bad coach. It's just it's you have to reinvent yourself. And I think you get to a certain point in your career where it's like, I don't really want to tear all this down. You kind of have to humble yourself and say, I have to forget everything I know. And you've got a great foundation. I mean, you, you, you know everything there is to know about coaching in general. You get the terminology and you understand, you know, that there's some similar lingo and, and concepts and everything else. So you'd be able to grasp it faster than anybody else. But you have to do that. You have to put in that effort. And some guys just don't do that. And, and I think for... For Petten, I, I think it might be kind of weird because it's, I think it's one and not the other, and usually it's it's that the guys don't want to innovate. I don't think that's the case with Petten. I don't know if he's super cutting edge, but but I don't think this is an old school throwback defense. I mean, he's been sort of, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that took some time off and really learned some stuff. I just, I, I, I guess I wonder about Petten. I said I wouldn't say it, but I just wonder about the fire aspect. You know, does he have that same fire in his belly as as a as a assistant coach that's that's grinding 24 hours a day to become a defensive coordinator i don't know it's not worth speculating about it's just it just it's it's just kind of strange i guess because this this, these are things he should be able to do in his sleep and it just it wasn't happening and that's strange i guess but anyways he is officially out which ruined my entire plan for today Uh, we were just gonna it's, it's a saturday nobody listens on saturdays plus the numbers are already starting to tank which is depressing but it is what it is it'll be all right so I figure we'll just we'll take it easy today. We're gonna do a draft primer. I may still do that because I, I as I've said, I don't really have I just I guess I wish I was more interested in this topic. It's it's extremely, extraordinarily interesting. But there's just nothing analytical to to address here. I've given you countless examples of um coaches that had terrible careers that went on to be great defensive coordinators. There's no reason for them to be as good as they were. Again, I think Matt LaFleur is a decent example of that. I mean, there are things that make sense in terms of why he'd be a great coach. His his penchant for working with uh, quarterbacks and, you know, how, how great things have gone in that regard when he's sort of a coordinator, quarterback coach, whatever. But you, you got to worry about that whole Tennessee thing. And, you know, then there was when we went on a defensive coordinator hunt last time, I remember looking at guys. And, and for the record, as I said, I think yesterday, I was a huge Jack Del Rio fan. Turns out, that wasn't wouldn't have been a terrible decision. He's been doing a great job so far, but you know I'll I'll just run through it again without mentioning any names. Oakland Raiders inside linebackers coach gets promoted to linebackers coach for the Oakland Raiders at 46 years old. The Denver Broncos hire him as a linebackers coach, and after one year they promote him to defensive coordinator. That year they go four and twelve, and it's the 32nd ranked defense in terms of points, 32nd ranked defense in terms of yards. He got fired. Baltimore picks him up as an inside linebackers coach because obviously you're terrible as a defensive coordinator, but uh, you've done some work with linebackers, so we're not even going to call you a linebacker coach. We're going to call you an inside linebacker coach. So at, at at 49 years old, after 47 years of striving, the guy had been a um, a coach at 23 years old at, in 1986. Since 23 years old, 1986, he's been striving and grinding. He gets his first chance the defense is literally, in every metric, the worst defense in football, and he gets fired and sent back to being an inside linebackers coach at 49 years old. He spends four years as the Ravens' inside linebacker coach, then spends two years as the linebacker coach. The Baltimore Ravens promote him to defensive coordinator at the age of 55 years old. Now, if I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan and looking at this, I'm saying this is stupid. Do you rem- did you not pay attention last time? I'm talking about Don Martindale who is a guy that is on a lot of short lists because that first year that he was promoted, 
to defensive coordinator, although they only went 10-6. and six. They had the number two overall defense in terms, of de- in terms of points, number one in terms of yards in that first year. 2019, third and fourth. This past year, second. They have been first, second, and, and second, I think, in terms of points on defense in the three years that Don Martindale um, has been in charge of that defense. Nothing that I read prior to this would tell you that that makes any sense. Why is it he got promoted to defensive coordinator with the, with the Denver Broncos and it was the worst defense ever? Granted, it was a decent defense before he got there, but it did get better, as opposed to the Broncos who went from 12th to 32nd when he took over. So again, it's just it's hard to look at the available information and make a determination, and I can contrast that with Mike Pettin. Do you remember what everybody said about Mike Pettin when we hired him? That this was the greatest hire ever? That this guy, he's never had a defense with a DVOA that wasn't top five or whatever the, the talking points were. There's no available information that would say that Mike Pettin would be a bad hire because he's never been a bad defensive coordinator. That is until he came to Green Bay. And so I just, I, 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 I've, I spent so much time going through this for when we were looking for a head coach. And I spent so much time going through this when we looked for a defensive coordinator um, the year prior. And it just... I just felt stupid afterwards because, I mean, it's not hard to analyze the information. It's just that the information is useless. It's absolutely useless. And there's so many other factors. How are they with their players? I don't know. I have no idea. How do they interact with other coaches? I don't know. How are they as play callers? How, you know, what, what kind of, you know, I just, I have no idea. The things that are behind the scenes that, that don't show up on the stat sheet. I don't know. And on top of that, you know, the, the point, well, you know, Denver had a bad defense and Baltimore had a good defense. That's the explanation. Okay, so then why do I care about what somebody's pedigree was coming in? Well, this guy would be a great defensive coordinator because he's, look at the defenses he's coached. Well, I mean, maybe it was the defense and not him so much, right? I mean, isn't that the exact same thing we're saying about Martindale? It's the players, not him. So what am I supposed to do? I, I You know, I, I can list off a, a, a list of names and we can go through what they've done in their lives and then what? I mean, I guess I can treat it kind of like the draft where I just kind of have my guy and just get excited about him, but then realize once the pick is made that my feelings on it are stupid and don't matter. You know, a lot of people really like Wade Phillips. Tell me one good thing about Wade Phillips that you couldn't have said about Mike Pettin before we hired him. What's one thing? Okay, then. The guy had nothing but dominant defenses every year he was a defensive coordinator of his entire career. A lot of t- and, and this is the other thing. A lot of times it really comes down to fit. It really does, and I think that has a lot to do with Martindale. There's a certain way that you coach, and there's a certain place that you're at in your career, and there's a certain way that you are as a person. I mean, I've talked about our locker room. You know, you look at some of these other teams and how much of an edge they have. The Baltimore Ravens, these guys are are mean, right? They're they're just they're they're they just got that AFC North mentality. The Packers don't exactly have that. I mean, Jair's got a little bit of an edge to him. Now, some of these guys, they, they got some swagger. They've got a little bit of, of, of toughness to them. I'm not saying the Packers are, are completely soft, but there is a different general mentality. They like to have fun. They kind of kick back, whatever. It's just there's, there's certain personalities that we throw in that locker room that I just don't know are going to fit very well, that are going to cause conflict. And so there's so many different variables, um, and, and maybe you want to push in a certain direction. We want to get away from this and toward this, but if you push too hard, it's just going to break the locker room. Because guys aren't just going to flip on a dime, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. Um, again, I, I can list off some names. We can have some fun with that. Why don't we do that? 
Um, and I'm just going to cheat because I haven't, again, my plan was to talk about the draft today. Um, so I'm going to cheat and I'm going to lean a little bit on Zach Cruz right now. Zach Cruz writes for Packers Wire. He does a good job. He's been over there since forever. I'm not going to just read his articles, but I, I will just, we'll, we'll start with the names that he lists and we'll go from there. Number one is Jerry Gray. Jerry Gray, um, I mean, we've talked about him quite a bit. We just picked him up. And, and the one thing that I had mentioned is that I'm excited about Jerry Gray because the, the Vikings have always had elite safeties no matter what. Everybody that comes into Minnesota, their safeties are fantastic. He comes over here, didn't look like it was going to take, but then toward the second half of the year, we had the best two safeties in football. So something was starting to stick a little bit with him, and that also gives me a little bit of, of excitement because let's remember, he's not just the safety coach. He's the defensive back coach. The only reason that I always talked about safeties was because the cornerbacks were kind of garbage in Minnesota, and I didn't really feel like bringing that up. But we should also mention that when we look at the fact that Jair completely blew up this year. I don't know that, it, that he shouldn't get any credit for that. Now, the, the biggest concern I have, it's, it's not that Jerry doesn't deserve it. And I'd be super happy for him, and I'm sure he's a great dude and all that. I just want him to stay where he is. I just, I just want the guy to stay there and stay focused on what he's doing because I don't want the DBs to regress. And we're going to be going out to get some new guys. I, I'm, I think there's about a 98% chance Kevin King is gone. And so we're going to have to bring in some corners, and I'd love for Jerry to be able to help groom these guys. And I know he can have a hand in it as a defensive coordinator, but he's got so much on his plate if he becomes the D.C., you know, and, and these, these DBs have only got one year of learning under Jerry Gray. The safeties are just scratching the surface. I really want him to be able to coach them up for as long as possible and to get as much out of him as is humanly possible. So I don't want, I, and I feel selfish saying it because, again, he deserves it. And I'll be happy for him if he gets it, and I'll be optimistic about the defense and all that stuff. And I know I'm being selfish, but I just want him to stay where he is because I don't want to lose him as our DB coach. And that's exactly what will happen. Um so that's where I'm that's where I'm at on Jerry Gray. Mike Smith, I'm a little bit more it's almost the exact same thing as Jerry Gray, but but not quite as much for two reasons. Number one, he's been the outside linebacker coach for longer, so I kind of feel like they've already learned from him. So it's almost like if they get somebody else, they can learn because every time you get a new coach, you learn a little bit more. It's not like you just forget everything you learned from Mike Smith. So we're talking what what has it been? It's been two years now with Mike Smith. I, you know, I'd love for him to stay where he is and keep doing what he's doing. But also, the, the guys off the edge did regress, which isn't great. Also, Mike Smith is a monster. Um, he's super fiery. He's super just, like, in-your-face intense. I remember when we drafted Rashawn Gary, he went to the podium. And with Bosa having come off the board at number one, said Gary was my favorite pass rusher in this class. I have to assume he was lying, but he said it completely serious, stone-cold. He loves his guys. He's passionate about his guys. So I like the mentality. I like the energy that he has. And I don't know that it would be as big of a hit because, again, the, the guys off the edge weren't as good as you'd want them to be. So I don't hate the idea of bringing in a different guy to help try to coach these guys up. Maybe they learn a little bit more. And I like Mike Smith as a, as a person who has a lot of energy. I have no idea if he'd be a good defensive coordinator. I have no idea. I don't know what his plan would be scheme-wise. You know, he is an ex-player. He was a linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens, so he's, you know, he's just, I, I just, I think it'd be kind of cool. He's 39 years old, so he is kind of young. He's been around. I mean, he was with the Chiefs before he came to the Packers. He did some great things with the Chiefs. He also has learned a lot from the Chiefs, obviously. He's been around some crazy offenses. You know, the, the Packers, 
the Chiefs and Andy Reid, Texas Tech from 2013 to 2015. I know he's on the defensive side, but he had to have learned some stuff. So I don't, I don't hate it, but again, I have no idea if he's the kind of guy that would make a good defensive coordinator. I just don't hate the fit from the little bit of information I have. Then we come to Wade Phillips, number three, who is probably, eh, I don't know if he's the fa- he's, he's He might be the favorite. There's always the, uh, the Badger guy, too, but the, the, he, he's up there. I'll be honest, I'm really not a big fan, only because I feel like getting really old guys just, and I don't mean his age. I, I don't mean to pick on the guy because he's 73. I just mean you get guys that just are kind of stuck in their ways a little bit. And especially when you talk about a guy that's been away from the NFL, there's a reason for that. I mean, people are looking at him and they're kind of just saying no thanks. And that worries me. And you say, well, I mean, he did such a good job with the Rams. I mean, did he, though? They were 17th in points last year. He leaves, they get a new defensive coordinator in their first year. They're the number one defense in football. Did he help them or hold them back? The year before that, they were 20th. The year before that, they were 12th. In fact, 2017 and 2018, the Rams had probably the best offense in football. They didn't win a, win, win anything. A, a better defense probably would have helped. So, you know, I just, I don't know. I Listen, I know he's really smart. I mean, he, he's, he's like Pettin, you know? He's like that other guy. I still can't think of his name. i got to look him up now. That makes me mad. I have to look him up. Um, I don't know. What's his name? Dom Capers. Thank you so much, Google. I mean, Dom Capers, to me, Wade Phillips is Dom Capers or Mike Pettin. It's just he's a guy that's got an unbelievable – he's probably – he could run circles around anybody. He could run circles around Mike Smith and Jerry Gray in terms of, you know, if you were to give him an exam – a hundred question exam on defenses. He would ace that test. That's a different story, though. That's different than can you come in here and turn this into the number one defense in football? What are you going to do when you go up against these these modern offenses? When the Lions go out and get uh, Trey Lance, who just I mean he's like I mean, that's good, that's going to be a nightmare if they end up with him. The guy can run like the wind. You got a plan for that? I mean, I know he's seen it in the past, but you get that and you get the more modern style of this, that, and the other, and it's, you know, all of a sudden we're running a college offense. I mean, the, the, the Vikings, the Bears, and the Lions are all looking to new quarterbacks soon. And, you know, you, you see the trends in, in the NFL and what we're doing. We get go out and get a college quarterback and get a college coach, and there you go. The Jaguars did it. The, the Cardinals did it. I don't think that this is going to be a completely unpopular trend. We want to bring college football to the NFL. What do you do? You get a college quarterback and a college coach. And look, it's not a one-to-one. Obviously, it's not just going to be college overnight. But, I mean, these things are are trickling in. And I don't know if if Wade is just – I just don't think it's my favorite option. I I think he's he's the exact same kind of a guy as as a Mike Pettin. I don't think he brings anything – you know, it's sort of what is the ceiling, right? He's got a, a high floor and a low ceiling is kind of how I see it. He's not going to be a complete failure as a defensive coordinator. He knows how to do stuff. But is he going to be, like, on the cutting edge? Is he going to be that next-level guy that's going to get the absolute best out of your guys and run the exact best defenses for, for what today's offenses are? I just really doubt it. And, I look, I know there's a connection and all that. I just I, And I don't like that he couldn't get a job this year. I don't like that at all. Number four on this list is... Chris Richard? Richard? I don't know. It's got to be Richard, right? I know he was a coveted um, pickup for the Dallas Cowboys. I do remember his name at that time. I don't know. It it seems a little strange to me. I mean, he's a DB guy. If anything, you know, if we promote Jerry Gray, let's go hire this guy to be our new DB coach would be ideal, which is what he is and what he has been. 
I mean, he was the DB coach back in the Legion of Boom days. Got promoted to defensive coordinator in Seattle. And, I mean, he's he's one of those guys, too, where you look at it and say, he kind of inherited a great defense, right? Dan Quinn was the guy. He went over to Atlanta, got hired as their, their head coach. And in 2014, the last year that Dan Quinn was there, it was already the number one defense in football. So what do they do? They Well, they, they hire the top guy that they have, right? And that's Mr. Chris Richard. Because he's, I mean, you know, Legion of Boom is, I mean, obviously everything top to bottom on this defense is great, but that's what everybody knows. And he is the DB coach. I guess my concern, though, is so he inherits this defense. They're still number one, right? They go from number one and number one to number one and number two in terms of points and yards. The next year, he's the defensive coordinator. They're third in points, fifth in yards. Then in year three, they fall off to 13th in points and 11th in yards. And so what happens? He gets fired, and the defense improves marginally, but they're obviously clearly declining. He goes and gets a job over in Dallas, and Dallas has a horrifically bad defense overall, top to bottom. He's not the defensive coordinator, but it's terrible. If you go look at Chris Richard and, and every interview he's ever done, it's him saying, this isn't good enough. We need to get better. I, that's my fault. I, I should have done a better job coaching up my guys, and they didn't know what they were doing, and I, I'm sorry, and, uh, you know, we've we, we got to be better. And it's like, it's just, it's like, ugh. I, I don't want to hear him say that coming to Green Bay. You know, uh, you know I should have... Should have done a better job of teaching these guys. And uh, uh, granted, I mean, it's just it. Dallas is just bad. And again, he's not the defensive coordinator. He's just the DB coach and all that. But he's coming from a place of you know he used to be, you know, riding high over in Seattle as like the main guy. And he's got this massive pedigree and all this stuff. And now he's kind of getting kicked in the teeth. You know, you feel like you're Superman. Like I I coached up the Legion of Boom. Then you go somewhere else where you don't have the best DBs in football just running around your field. And you're trying to drag guys up to a certain standard, and it's just not working as well. I mean, via PFF, it was the 27th-ranked coverage unit in football. You know, if you look at their um, their team in terms of coverage, there were only two guys on the entire defense that graded in the 70s as far as coverage. One of them was an edge rusher, Durant Armstrong. The other was a safety that played in 11 games, Donovan Wilson. I know Dallas Cowboys fans love Trayvon Diggs, um, who was a rookie. And, and, and again, people love him because of the flashy stat. 12 pass breakups, three interceptions, he's a freak. I disregard the 650 yards and six touchdowns he gave up. You know, Xavier Woods, safety in the 60s. Deontay Burton, who played two games in the 50s, was the next highest. I mean, these guys were all just not good. So, you know, I again, I don't know how much it matters. I don't know how much you put the, put the blame on him. I mean, it's, it's almost the exact same thing as Matt LaFleur, right? Well, I mean, everything's really, really great. And then this last year, it was really bad, so we got to put all the blame on him and say that he'd be a bad hire. It's the exact same thing that I did with Matt LaFleur. I mean, everything was great in Atlanta. Everything was great in, you know, for the Rams in L.A., but then he went to Tennessee and it was bad, so he'd be a bad hire. Well, it turns out that wasn't true. So I, again, what, I don't know what to do with the info. I'm just giving you the information. I don't know. In terms of mentality, yeah, he's got it in spades. He's a young dude. He's fired up. He's got that sort of Mike Smith mentality of, you know, he's just a fiery dude. Is that what we want? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what we want. I'm just I'm just reading you whatever information I have. Anyways, why don't we take a break here because we got to pick a spot somewhere in the world, and then we'll come back and just kind of run through the rest of this list. Again, thank you, Zach Cruz of Packers Wire, for making my job easy. I could I mean, listen, there's a billion lists out there, and there's other guys on Twitter who have said things. And I mean, you know, whatever. It's just it's it's mostly because there's 15 guys, and that's a big list. That's why I picked it, and it's Packers-specific. There's a bunch of other ones. There's 15 possible here by uh, Music City Miracles, which is a Tennessee Titans one. 
and I may come over here and steal some if, if there's a couple different guys. But considering how slow I'm going, the, I, I think uh, Zach's 15 will suffice. Um, Patreon members. I I don't Maybe I already said this. I don't know. But it was brought to my attention that the link had expired to join the group Discord. I think I did say that. No, I think I just typed it. <laughs> I don't know. But I I was told that the, the link to join the um, Patreon um, Discord group, where it's just a chat, just come hang out, whatever, that that had expired and people couldn't get in. So I, I posted a new link on Patreon. You have to be a patron to get in there to see it. Um, there is a new link. And if you have any issues, just let me know. If you need a new link, let me know. Sorry it took me so long to get at that, but um, anyways, it's there if you need it, if you want it. Love to get as many of you in there as possible, just as a sort of a thank you, I guess. Um, if you'd like to join uh, the Discord group, you can do so for as little as a buck a month at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Also, and I don't know for sure, but I am extremely tempted to do another call-in show, which would essentially be, I turn on my camera, I stream, I put a phone number at the top of the video, whatever, you call that number and I answer and then you talk and then I listen and then I hang up and then somebody else calls. And that's that's kind of how that works. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm what I'm describing to you right now? I just had a lot of fun doing that and I feel like I kind of want to do it again. Um, but I think the thing that I'm going to do is what I'll do instead of streaming it to the group because that is um, not super advantageous. I just did that last time because that's where most people are. What I'd like to do is stream to Cheese and Packers, the Facebook page, because I need to grow that. So if you'd like to be a part of that, not saying I won't share it to the group so you won't see it anyways, but go ahead and like the Cheese and Packers Facebook page, and that'll be a place to do that. And it'll just be a little call-in show where I just sit here and you talk and I nod and smile and we move on. Sound great? Okay. Anyways, let's take that break I was talking about. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Next up on the listy list is Gerard Mayo. Probably remember um, the name Gerard Mayo because he too was a NFL linebacker. That is, however, until 2019 when the New England Patriots hired him to be an inside linebacker's coach, which is what he's been doing ever since. Now, again, I don't know what to do with this. The, the, if he gets hired, it's going to be because they brought him in for an interview. They're going to lay a bunch of stuff out for him, find out what his understanding of certain things are, especially when you're a guy like Mike Pet or excuse me, Matt LaFleur. You've seen the goods and the bads with defenses. He's going to be able to put out some pretty specific scenarios. Hey, how about this situation? What are you, what are you thinking there, bud? He's going to see what, what the guy can do. All right, I mean, just throw your offense at him and see what he says. See what he has to say about your offense. He should know about it. If he doesn't, he probably didn't prepare for the interview very well. Scheme to stop me. If there's anybody in the world that knows how to stop Matt LaFleur's offense, it's Matt LaFleur. There's certain things that he knows I really don't like when people do that. Right? It's, it's, I mean, it's just it's stuff like that that I don't know. And so all I've really got to go on is he's a former linebacker. Um, he's a young dude. I don't really like the lack of, of experience. I mean, he's he's been a position coach. He's been an NFL coach for two years. Two years. So everything he understands about scheme and all that stuff is what he learned from coaches. Um, I'm not saying you can't just jump to defensive coordinator, but that's that's a heck of a leap, man. I mean, I worry about guys like Mike Smith and their experience, and he's been a coach for a very long time. But, um, you know, I, again, I can look at the linebackers and say they're not super great. <laughs> um, the, the one positive, I mean, there's not a lot of good linebackers in New England. In 2020, they didn't have any, but in 2019, obviously, you got guys like Jamie Collins and Dante Hightower. Both guys had really big upticks in 2019. So Dante Hightower was a very good linebacker through 2016. 2017, he really fell off. 2016 was also a bad year. Excuse me, 2017 and 2018, he dropped off. So we're talking 80, 80, 70, 50, 60. And that 70 was a 78. So basically, three years being in the 80s, and then he drops to high 50s, low 60s. Gerard Mayo takes over, and he jumps up to a 71, which is still relatively low, but it's a massive jump up, especially for a guy that hit 30 years old. Then you look at Jamie Collins, and it's kind of similar. He played for New England for a very, well, not for a very long time, but for three and a half years, I guess. Did a pretty good job. He was a good linebacker. Goes to Cleveland, did not do a good job. His second year in Cleveland, horrible. He had a 42 overall grade. Third year in Cleveland, 2018, 61. That's not great. Goes back to New England for one year, 2019, which is not... getting all the names confused. Gerard Mayo's first year as the inside linebacker coach, he jumps up to a 72. It was his third best year ever and his best year since 2015 with New England. Then the next year he goes to Detroit, goes right back to a 64. But these are also New England linebackers um, going to New England, playing in New England scheme with a linebacker who understands New England and New England scheme. That has nothing to do with his ability to be a defensive coordinator. I don't even know if he'd be a good linebackers coach coming to Green Bay. These are different linebackers with a different, I mean, it doesn't have to be a different scheme. We could just run what New England does, but I, you know, I don't know. Not a huge fan. Then you got Marvin Lewis. I don't really even want to look into Marvin Lewis. I just don't care. Well, I mean, he was a great defensive coordinator, just not a good head coach. Okay, yeah, so was Mike Pettin. I just, I don't know, man. I, I, I'll get behind whoever they hire, and if they hire a Marvin Lewis or a, you know, whatever, fine. Again, I have no doubt that he's extremely intelligent and all that stuff. I'm just, I'm not into that. The really good defensive coordinators back in 2004, 
that became head coaches and were bad head coaches and then took a year off and are going to come back and be great defensive coordinators again. Nah, no thanks. No thanks. When, when, when does that work again? Who did that work for again? I don't remember. Doesn't seem to work all that well. Well, Jack Del Rio, but, you know. <laughs> then you got James Betcher. Betcher's been a defensive coordinator for some time now, starting in 2015 with the Arizona Cardinals, 2015, 16, and 17. It's another situation for Arizona where he inherited a pretty good defense. Um, you had the Bruce Arians um, team. Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles in 2014, obviously a good football team, at least defensively. They were 24th on offense, but 5th on defense. The very next year, Bruce Arians is there, but he hires Betcher to be his uh, defensive coordinator. Also had Kitchens as his quarterback's coach. It's always fun to look at this and like, dude, this is where this guy was from? But Betcher comes in, and they're they're 7th on defense, number 2 on offense. The offense gets clicking. The defense actually takes a half a step back, but nobody notices because the team is so much better overall. Then the defense takes another step back as they drop all the way down to 14th. Um, again, James Betcher is the defensive coordinator. 2017, they dropped to 19th, so they've been getting worse every single year. The offense drops all the way back to 25th, and this is when the whole thing gets blown up. Right, 8-8, eight and eight, team's no good, goodbye everybody. Then Steve Wilkes comes in with uh, Al Holcomb, and the team is just the worst ever. Not interesting. It has nothing to do with James Betcher, I'm just pointing that out. But he's obviously a guy that... You know, he interviews well. There's something about him. He's got some of those qualities that people like because I don't know why he got the job to begin with in Arizona, and he immediately gets picked up for the New York Giants. So, again, there's just certain guys that, that are coveted, and it's not it's not on paper. So with the New York Giants, it was kind of interesting because they actually had the second-best defense in 2016 under um, Steve Spagnolo. In 2018, it or excuse me, in 20 that was in 2016. In 2017, they dropped to 27th. Defense just completely falls off. In 2018, Pat Shermer takes over and he grabs James Betcher, who was just fired by Arizona, along with everybody else. They go from 27th to 23rd, still not a very good defense. And then from there, they go to 30th. So not great. Now, it sounds weird, but I, I actually have a good amount of respect for the Giants' defense overall as weird as that sounds because they were 30th in points the thing that kind of blew me away first of all of note they picked up a ton of Packers and the Packers tended to do well Blake Martinez was a freak for the Giants so that's interesting right because when we talk about how Mike Pettin's not getting the best out of his guys one of the guys you point to is is Blake Martinez because Blake Martinez was bad here goes and plays for James Betcher and is one of the better linebackers in football on top of that I mean I expected this to be the worst defense of anybody. They have zero edge rushers in New York. They had probably the worst corners of anybody I've ever seen in my life. The quality of players they had for the New York Giants was abysmal. However, despite that, the most first of all, another thing that should be interesting to you, the most dominant aspects of this defense were the defensive line and the linebackers. The four highest grade graded players on this team were the defensive linemen. Dalvin Tomlinson was number one, Leonard Williams number two, Dexter Lawrence number three, B.J. Hill number four. This was a very good defensive line. I should mention that was in 2019. The other guys that graded out well, linebacker David Mayo, edge rusher Lorenzo Carter, and safety Julian Love. In 2020, it's not all that different, but you got other guys coming along. So you got James Bradbury. James Bradbury is a corner that played for Carolina that was absolutely horrible. He comes to New York. For whatever reason, they decide, I want that guy. They bring him over, and he had a basically an 80 overall grade. He was phenomenal. And not only that, when you look at what made him great, it was his coverage. And it wasn't just a lot of guys when they have really good coverage grades. It's a couple good games, a lot of bad games mixed in, and it averages out. 
he was, I mean, down the stretch, it was 67, 71, 66, 70, 73, 72, 60. I mean, he's right at that good every single, I mean, this is like the ideal guy. The other thing I love about this, if you could take some Giants players and bring them to Green Bay, a guy like James Bradbury, and I don't know what the contract situation is, but this guy would cost nothing. I'm sure James Bradbury, I mean, even if we don't get James Bradbury, somebody like this would be perfect, and he's a massive upgrade over Kevin King, and he costs nothing. He came over after doing nothing, and he did a very, very good job. Again, you have Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Tomlinson and B.J. Hill all in the 70s. Again, the defensive line was fantastic. And again, it's not just that they were always good. B.J. Hill's best two years came in 2019 and 2020. Dalvin Tomlinson's always been good. Dexter Lawrence has only been there in 2019 and 2020, but he obviously got the best out of them, right? First-round pick. And Leonard Williams got shipped off. They didn't even really want him there. But again, you look at the emphasis. He really puts a lot into the defensive line and the linebackers, and they do a very, very good job. In addition to that, the fourth-highest-graded player on this defense was Blake Martinez. If you look at Blake, he had two very good years as a run defender under Dom Capert. If you look at just his run defense grades, here's how it pans out. 73.6, This is a very good run-defending linebacker that for some reason just did not fit what Mike Pettin was doing. He was fine under Dom Capers. He's been fine under Betcher. He was terrible under Pettin. So I, I guess I'll say that I'm intrigued because this is, this is a terrible group. And I just wonder what would happen. Right? I mean, he's doing a fantastic job with the defensive line and linebackers. What happens if you give this guy a handful of really good defensive linemen? What happens if you give this guy, um, excuse me, some very good uh, edge rushers? What happens if you give him the number one corner in football? What happens if you give him a great safety group with a very, very good um, DB coach? I, I, it's weird because nobody's going to want this guy. I kind of am a little bit intrigued by it because from afar I've been looking at, at the Giants, and I know, again, the points aren't very good. But that also has, when you just look at points, you're also looking at an offense that can't stay on the field. You're looking at a terrible offense, and that doesn't help your defense. If you have an offense like the Green Bay Packers that's going to drag the clock down, it's hard to score a lot of points against that when they're on the field all the time. I don't hate it. I really don't. I don't think it's going to be the higher, and I understand the concern with it. He's never really had dominant defenses, and the defenses don't seem to get better when he shows up. But I'm just looking at a team that has no players that I had no expectations from, that really kind of was stingy, especially up front. And actually, I mentioned how I, I had a respect for him for 2020. I had no expectations. 30th overall defense was 2019 when he first showed up. This year they were ninth, And again, with a terrible, terrible, terrible group of players. You, you would struggle to name three people on that defense. I don't, I don't mean you because you're stupid. I'm just saying it's just in general because there's just there's no names there. Lorenzo Carter, I mean, come on. Kyler Fackrell, he didn't do very well, but I mean, he, he was one of their most prominent edge rushers. He played in more games than anybody else. In fact, if you look at their edge this is baffling to me. First of all, almost nobody on this defense played 16 games. Almost nobody. Of the edge rushers, he played 12 games and he played in more games than any other edge rusher on this team. They didn't have anybody else. He played more, he had played 608 snaps, the next highest. Let me look at this here. So he played 608. The next highest edge rusher was Lorenzo Carter, played five games, 234 snaps. That was James Betcher's defense. I'm, I'm a little intrigued. I'm not going to lie. And people are going to hate that, but I, I would not. There's something interesting about that. Anyways, just a thought. Then there's Steven Belichick. I really don't have any interest in that. The guy seems weird. I mean, look, I, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but there's just something weird about the dude. 
maybe it's just he's just like his dad, and that's kind of weird. Also, I'm just I'm just kind of all the way out on on New England guys. I mean, Bill Belichick does such a fantastic job doing what he does, and guys that work for Bill Belichick know how to do what Bill Belichick says. But being able to create a, a Belichick team somewhere else, I mean, look, Miami's doing a great job. I, I can't deny that. And maybe there's just something in the DNA. Maybe I just I'm just not interested. If we hire him, cool. We'll we'll explore it. I'm gonna go ahead and move on to the next guy here. Next, number nine on his list, you got Chris Kosurik who is the defensive line coach for the San Francisco 49ers. That makes it really obvious in terms of why we would want him. It's the 49ers. There's all kinds of ties, good defense, um, and defensive line is something that everybody would want, right? So he's got he's got that Sala mentality, and obviously Matt LaFleur and, and Sala are very good friends. So any kind of, you know, he, he would get it from Sala if this dude's a great coach, and, and Kosurik would get nothing but glowing reviews about Matt LaFleur from Sala. So if, if that's the direction they wanted to go, it would just happen. I don't really know outside of that what the real benefit would be. Um, if you want to bring in like a 49er style of defense, you, you got that as an option. You base, I mean, it's, 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 it would be the same kind of concept as with Matt LaFleur. You have been raised and grown in the system that we want. We want you to bring a 49ers defense here, so that's what we're going to do. Basically, we would just become the 49ers and hopefully be better than them at it. Because at this point, I think we do have better players. Um, in terms of his ability to grow defensive line talent, I mean, again, if you're the defensive coordinator, I don't know that you're going to be focused just on one position quite to that degree. Your job is to tell your position guys, this is what I want our guys to be able to do, and then they execute that. So he'll he'll kind of pr- provide the template of what we need the defensive linemen to be able to do. And I'm sure he'll he'll have a hand in, in helping to coach in all these positions. But... Um, you know, and even outside of that, it, it's not like these are exactly phenoms along the defensive line. If you just look in order of the best players on the team, you got linebacker, edge rusher, corner, corner, edge, safety, edge, corner, 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 linebacker, corner, safety, linebacker, edge, defensive lineman. You got to go to number 16 overall before you get your first defensive lineman in terms of the highest graded players. So, you know, that's that's not the biggest reason why I'd want to bring him over. It would just be because we want a 49ers defense and we got a good reference that he's a good dude. That's about it. Uh, He put Terrell Austin on this list, and I'm not entirely sure why. He was a defensive coordinator for the Lions for a long time. Um, I mean, again, that that really just got to come down to you just like the guy, you know. I I don't really know. I don't think anybody, even if you liked the Lions' defenses in that period, which were mediocre, I don't know that anybody was looking at at the Lions' defenses as being this sort of cutting-edge kind of defense, you know. Um, his final year was in Cincinnati, and that was just a disaster. So I, I, I don't really have a lot to add to that. Number 11 on his list is Jim Leonard. We've kind of talked about this. This is sort of the high-risk, high-reward thing. I mean, if you're looking for cutting edge, this is it. The biggest concern is it might be a little bit too cutting edge. He learns, He's learning a lot about college offenses and college defenses, right? So the problem is, how much did he learn that he's going to have to just leave behind because it's not a thing in the NFL, and you kind of just hope that it becomes a thing, and he's like, oh, I know how to do that. Again, super smart guy and all that, but you just, I'm a little concerned because, again, he he's learning a specific thing. There's some generalities in terms of defense, and there's there's all kinds of things that I'm, I'm sure he can do the job to a certain degree, but you, you kind of, it's kind of like when you go to college and you get your PhD. You learn all kinds of stuff, right? You got, not only do you have your gen eds, but let's say you got your PhD in, I don't know, physics, who cares? You You probably took a good amount of math classes. Right. So you know math pretty well. And you probably took a lot of other science classes like uh, biology or whatever. So, you know, a decent amount about that, like maybe more than the average person, a ton about math. 
but physics in general is specifically what you've mastered. And so it would kind of like, it would be kind of like if, if we wanted somebody to be a PhD in algebra. He's probably really smart. He's probably really good at algebra, but he's a physics guy. And so there's a lot of physics information that's kind of useless in algebra, even though some of it might apply, you know, whatever. You get what I'm saying? That That's sort of my biggest concern. But but on top of that, it, the experience level, it's, you know, the difference between coaching college kids and uh, grown men in the pros. And a lot of that really is just going to come down to having a meeting. I, I would be excited about it. I mean, the, the Badgers have a good defense. But again, they're, they're, they do a good job of stopping college offenses. And that's completely different than the NFL. So... Um, I'm not opposed to it. Like some of these guys, I'm just flat out opposed to. I, I just, it would come down to Matt LaFleur. Obviously, he knows what, what, what the concerns are, and he would know the right questions to ask. And if Jim Leonard can pass that test, cool. Um, no question, he's, he's a guy that has come in and, and risen to the, to the occasion, right? There was, no, I mean, it could have gone poorly being the defensive coordinator for the Badgers, too, right? Who's this young guy? He did, you know, is he going to be able to actually take command of this defense? And he did. It's a great defense. So again, I can't really elaborate on it other than, you know, if they interview him, which is the first step, and decide that this is the guy, then great. Number 12 on the list is Casey Rogers, and again, it's for very obvious reason. Um, he is, well, first of all, he has been a defensive coordinator in the past. He was a defensive coordinator for the New York Jets, so he does have defensive coordinator experience. I'm not really going to look into the Jets because the important thing I think here is he's got defensive coordinator experience. I will point out, though, not the best defenses. <laughs> However, obviously the really intriguing thing here is on top of having general defensive line experience and um, being very proficient in that, his most recent stint has been with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the last two years. And obviously the defensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has been unbelievable. Um, the biggest concern, obviously, is how much of that is Todd Bowles and how much of that has rubbed off and, and we can just bring what Todd Bowles does here. Because as I've said, I have a ton of respect for Todd Bowles because I don't think they have the best players in the world. I don't think they have as good of players as we do, but I think their defense embarrassed us. I think they clearly have been the better defense. I, the, the things that they've been able to do has been magnificent. So again, that comes down to, you know, okay, you have a lot of experience, but, you know, how much are you bringing Todd Bowles here? Because again, he was he was a defensive coordinator for four years prior to that. He has his way of doing things. Before that, he spent, what, five years with, or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years with the Dolphins, five years, I think, with the Cowboys. So he's got a whole bunch of information up in his brain, and I don't know that he just shut all that off, and now he's just the next Todd Bowles. I don't know that that's necessarily how that works. But again, meet with the guy, see what happens. After that, you got Mike Caldwell, basically the exact same thing. Um, he was with the Jets as an assistant head coach, inside linebackers coach, um, and then he came over in 2019 to be with the Buccaneers, so he followed uh, Casey Rogers over, um, and he joined as uh, as a linebackers coach. So, I mean, it's, it's it's identical situation here. It would just be a matter of sitting down and finding out if, if these guys check off the other boxes, but I don't have any other insights to provide. Uh, you got Jerome Henderson, who is uh, – he works actually for Betcher. He's a Giants uh, DB coach, I think. Yeah, he's the DB coach over there. And again, I mean, it, it just, I don't know, man, you, you just got to sit down with the guy. You know, again, I'm, I'm impressed with what happened with James Bradbury, but I can't just sit here and look at the, the players and say, well, you know, one guy got pretty good in one year, so he must be great, so he should be a defensive. There's, there's no information here. There is, however, a, a, uh, a little bit of overlap, which is maybe why this is even on the list. He was the Falcons passing game coordinator for four years, including 2016 with Matt LaFleur. So there's a little bit of overlap there. 
Then you got Chris Shula, and there's a an L.A. Rams connection, and obviously this is one of the 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 young up and comer type of guys. And the past two years, he's been the outside linebackers coach, which I don't think the outside linebackers for the Rams have been good like ever. So there's nothing really there. But again, you're 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 really just looking at it and saying, I really like the Rams defense. I really like the Rams scheme. It's another team that I think is is unbelievably good despite not despite having a ton of holes including at outside linebacker so what happens when you bring that scheme here that is the question some other names that i'm not just going to go through right now uh romeo cornell uh george edwards D'Amico ryans is the 49ers linebackers coach got some other college guys like luke fickle uh, at cincinnati if you don't know cincinnati right now they are the highest graded defense via pff right now it's really quite impressive. I mean, especially if you just go back in time and look, because you can say, well, it's, it's not as good a competition, which is absolutely true, but you just go back over the years. 2019, the top defense is Ohio State, Alabama, right? 2018, uh, you're looking at Clemson, Washington, Notre Dame. Uh, 2017, you're looking at Michigan, Alabama, Washington. 2016, you've got Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Washington, right? It's the same dominant teams we know every year. So it's not like, well, of course, all the top teams are just teams that don't face anybody. No, it's always been Alabama, Michigan, Washington, Ohio State, that, you know, LSU is up there. So 2020, and again, I doubt that if they go up against better competition, they're going to rank quite as highly, but that's a that's a massive feat. You know, Georgia's number two. They're one spot above them with a 92.1 overall defense, and they've been climbing ever since he got there. So this is a very impressive defense. And it's primarily led by its um, linebackers and edge rushers, which I don't think too many people would be upset about. So again, there's there's the scheme aspect and all that kind of stuff that comes into it, and you know, coming over to the the pros and whatever. But it's just it's it's an interesting thing because obviously he's done an unbelievable job with that defense. So I don't know, John Heacock, Iowa State defensive coordinator, whatever. Um, again, it's it's there's lists everywhere. And if you want to kind of play along and go out and find people that you like, um, again, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by Betcher. I always like college prospects, despite all the negatives. And despite the fact that it's probably going to be a disaster, it just, it's one of those things you can kind of dream about, you know, they're, they're young and, and they, they just, they know all the cutting edge stuff and there's all this allure to them. So it just excites me, even though it's probably a, a bad decision, but, um, I mean, it's, it's fun to get excited about, but at the end of the day, uh, we're going to hire somebody. It's probably not going to be somebody that I want. I'm probably going to try to put on a brave face and say, eh, that's super great. You know, he's going to get Wade Phillips or something, and I'm going to die on the inside and then come on here and say, well, they know better than I do, so here we go. But, um, yeah. Again, remember, uh, tonight, if I can, I can't make any guarantees. You never know what's going to happen, but I'd like to be able to do another live stream. It's Cheese and Packers' Facebook page. Make sure you go like that so you don't miss it. And we can have a talk about uh, defensive coordinators. I mean, it's, I, I like to leave it open for whatever. I mean, literally whatever. It doesn't have to be even football. I don't really care. But uh, topic of the day, defensive coordinators that you like. Um, could also do draft talk, whatever, because I've got, obviously, the PFF thing. So if you've got any questions, you want me to look up statistics on them or grades on them or whatever, I can do that. Again, just, just hang out, man. But uh, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tonight or tomorrow or one of these days. Have a good one. Bye-bye.